The new improved. I don't I don't know about improved, but it's certainly new. I do feel better. That's the improvement. And you know, and some of what's happening with me, I'm gonna talk about this morning. So um, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, we're talking about getting into your identity um, over the next few weeks or eight weeks or whatever it's going to be out. I, I'm not sure. But one of the things that um, that's really came to my mind is that this is a journey for me. And some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about this morning, I feel is going to be able, <clears throat> excuse me, to um, unlock us. Do we have some water? Thank you. Thank you. All right. So anyway, yeah, so it's going to be able to, I think, unlock what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. Um, But before that, if y'all just allow me, I'm going to pray real quick. Father God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your your house this morning. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to... um, uh, to be able to minister for you, Father, and I ask right now that you would just give me a special anointing, that you would anoint me out of the way, that you would allow my mouthpiece to be your mouth this morning, Lord, that your words would come through me, Lord, that I would not get in the way, Father God. Lord, just anoint each one of our hearts and minds so that we would hear what it is that you have for us to hear and receive what it is that you had have us to receive, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. All right, so I actually have... I'm going to be looking to make sure nobody's falling asleep because I am going to be doing, unfortunately, quite a bit of reading this morning, okay? So I don't know if if y'all are one of those people to where if somebody reads you a bedtime story, you fall asleep. So every now and then, yeah, Cameron, if you could just kind of thump Pastor Paul in the back of the head, keep him awake. Um, he's He's got a golf game, so he's probably going to rest up before his golf game. Um, so anyway, what I want to talk to you about is... Um, some generational stuff, okay? So, again, we're talking about, um, I'm going to be talking soon about being having your identity in Christ, but in order to do that, you're going to have to break free of some things, okay? There are things that we carry around with us that we don't need to carry around with us. And, interestingly enough, there are things that we want to carry with us. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So I would like for y'all to go to Psalms 90. Psalms 90. Let's see if let's see if uh, <clears throat> my media team was ready this morning. Yay! Okay, so Psalms 90. And again, I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 17 verses. Look, Pastor Paul's already yawning, guys. Already. All right. All right. So y'all follow along with me if you can. Lord, you have been our our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you have formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men for a thousand years in your sight or like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night, you carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the morning, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. 
For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The lives of our, excuse me, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us, a glad, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. And this is kind of where I'm, I'm heading to. Verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So I know that was a lot to read, but if you go back and you look at the beginning of this chapter, it really talks about the frailty of humankind and how we don't have much time. Okay? We're not promised any amount of days. I mean, we know of people who have died young. We know of people who have died old. There's no way to predict it. Okay? Now, there's ways of shortening it for sure, right? Um, I mean, you want to live a certain lifestyle? Congratulations, you're going to shorten your life. Okay? But my point is, is there's no way to predict it. We don't know how much time we're going to be given. So it's important that we do what we can with that time. Okay? And that's what this last part of this verse is talking about in verse 17. And it says, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Or work the, the, the hands for us. So what we put our hands to, we want God to establish that. So whenever you establish something, you're making it so. Correct? It's not just one of those things to where you're saying, okay, well, uh, I, I'm doing this with my hands and when it's done, it's done. No, we want to establish it there. It's going to be now permanent. We're putting it in place. We want something to be put in place permanently. Okay? So this psalm is a prayer that's attributed to Moses. He meditates on the frailty of human life before the everlasting God. But he concludes with that humble hope, asking that God will establish his people's work to endure, and may the favor of the Lord rest upon us. And he says, establish the work of our hands. See, in our Western world, we always think about the here and now. I've always called this the microwave generation. Okay? The microwave generation, we want everything now. Everything has to be now. We want instant gratification. We want everything to happen the moment that we speak it. Now, that's okay for some things, right? But not in all things. Some things it's going to take a while to happen, okay? And we're going to get talking about that here in just a second. But just think about this for a second. We live in a generation to where the wealth of human knowledge is right here. I remember when I first, for, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a computer guy, okay? I'm, I work in IT. I teach, but I teach technology as well, okay? One of the things that I remember when I first got into computers, I had to memorize so much stuff. Everybody else learns French or Spanish or whatever. I learned Pascal, Fortran, BASIC, okay? Those are computer languages in case y'all didn't know. I talk in computer language. Yeah. Okay? It's really boring stuff. 
Maybe, maybe Tom and I could sit and talk in basic, and we, we would know each, what each other is talking about, but nobody else would understand us. The problem is, basic is now a dead language. It's, yeah, basic. Um, my, my point is, is it's, it's something that I had to learn because it, it was devoted to my job. But now it doesn't matter. If, if I need to know how to do something, I can just look it up. Google knows everything. Google's not always right. But you can find enough people to get the right answer, okay? My point is we have the wealth of human knowledge at our fingertips. And now everybody's carrying around smartwatches, right? So now even you don't even have to have this little computer in your pocket because now you've got one on your wrist. And technology is just going to get bigger and better from there, okay? You could say better if you wanted to, but uh, it's, it's just going to get more and more. So that's why I call it the microwave generation is because we want everything now. Um, when we talk about saying, okay, well, I want to, um, I want to make an investment in this monetarily. A lot of times people are looking for a quick turnaround and I'm not, I'm not saying anything to to anybody in, in this room, but there are a lot of people in the world today that they want that million dollar home that their parents have been working for 40 years to get, and they want it now. So you know what they do? They overextend themselves, and they get that million-dollar home right now, and they've got that million-dollar payment to go along with it. They've overextended themselves because they want it now. They don't want to have to work for it like everybody else has been having to do for years and years and years, okay? So it's that instant gratification. There was a time when people used to think beyond themselves, They had to think about generations, the people that would come behind them. So for those of you who don't know, I am from Castor. What good can come out of Castor? Well, Pastor Paul came out of Castor, so something obviously good comes out of Castor. So (laughs) she's not from Castor. She doesn't claim it. She doesn't claim it. So I'm from the great town of Castor, center of the universe, okay? Castor is a town with a history all on its own, okay? There's a lot of farming communities and stuff like that out there. That farmland was not always farmland. Somebody got out there and cleared the land, okay? Somebody got out there and cleared that land. Um, And they didn't have the modern technology that we have today. So my grandfather bought um, the, our little plot of land out there in Castor, I don't know, late 70s, is that right? I'm looking at my mom and dad back there. Um, late 70s, and he cleared it with a mule that kicked him several times, dislocated his shoulder. But anyway, my point is, is he cleared it with a mule. We're talking trees and stumps and all that kind of stuff so that he could get out there and plant it. Do you really think that he did that just for himself? No. He was thinking generationally. He was thinking about what was coming next, about his family that would be having it. He had five kids, three daughters, two sons. He knew that they were going to inherit that land, that they were going to need to do something with it. So he cleared it for them. You can see that in Castor. There's a lot of places out there, and I'm just talking about Castor, but of course it's all over the the world and all over the U.S., right, where you can see people have cleared land 
for crops, farmland. They're thinking generationally. They built a home. They didn't build this home with their sweat, blood, and tears just for their family right now. They're thinking generationally. Okay? So most Americans, we tend to think of our own life. We think about our marriage, our immediate family, our kids, maybe our grandkids, but that's about as far as it goes. We're not thinking about what we're setting up for future generations. Now, there's a big problem with this. The problem with this is you're hoping and praying that they're going to have the know-how to be able to pick up pieces and do it themselves for their kids and their grandkids, which is okay, but that's really not how it's supposed to be done. And we're going to see here in just a second, that's not how God planned it either. God does not just think, think if God just thought of his own kid. And so all he did was bless Jesus. And then that was it. That God didn't think generationally. He says, well, I'm going to anoint my son to do a work. Everybody else, you're just on your own. You got to figure this out on your own. Could you imagine the world that we would live in today? I wouldn't want to be here. It would not be good. So God thinks generationally, and here's the really cool part. God was thinking generationally before Jesus even came. Way back when, all the way back in the Old Testament, God had a salvation plan. He had generational thinking already in mind. He put people in places. He, he directed people's lives so that certain encounters would happen. All right, so let's look, 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 look at some stuff, okay? Um, and I'm going to run through a few scriptures here, and it's going to be kind of it's going to be kind of a lot, but that's okay. I'm going to I'm going to kind of stop. Um, and she may not have them up here on the board, but that's okay. But I want to look at Genesis 9:12 first, and it says, "And God said, there is a sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations." It's making a sign for generations as a reminder. Okay, that this is something that he's done, that he's going to do. He's, he's, he's making a generational thing so that we can see it and be reminded. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit too. Genesis 17, 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after. We're seeing more generational promises. Joshua twenty two twenty eight says, Therefore we said it said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, Here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. This is important. I'm going to stop here for just a second. So this altar that's being built here, they're saying this isn't for offerings. This is a reminder. I want you to think in your own life where you're building altars and what those altars are for. Are you building an altar for sacrifice or are you building it for a generation? The reason why these altars were put in place, so imagine if you will, 
just go back in your mind in time. So you're in um, ancient Israel. You're in ancient Egypt. You're out there in the wilderness. Remember, there's there's uh, the sand and there's trees. and I mean, it's just wilderness, right? And then all of a sudden, you come upon this stack of rocks. Now, as a child, you may look at that stack of rocks and go, well, that's weird. There's just a stack of rocks here. And then dad stops you and says, no, son, let me tell you about this stack of rocks. This stack of rocks is where your great, 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 great grandfather had an encounter with God. And then the child begins to think and goes, well, tell me about this encounter. So he begins to tell him about the things that God did for his family. That's what we have to begin to establish in our lives. See, we are carrying around so many generational things in our lives. We're carrying around altars that don't need to be there. Sometimes it can be an altar of financial instability. Oh, my family's just been poor my whole life. Why? Why is your family poor your whole life? Why do you have to struggle in that? You don't. That is a generational altar you're reminding your children of all the time. Well, diabetes just runs in my family. Heart disease just runs in my family. Cancer just... No, it doesn't. It runs in your family because you keep reminding people there's an altar there. You have a cancer altar in your family. Do you see what I'm saying? We're reminding each generation that this is the thing. You're going to be fat because your whole family's been fat. Okay? No, your family doesn't have to be fat. Thank the Lord. I'm losing weight. It's wonderful. And I'm doing this. Yes, I'm doing this for me. There's no doubt I'm doing this for me. I got to go to Six Flags two weeks ago. When did we? I went with, I didn't go with the youth. We happened to go at the same time the youth did. We went to Six Flags. Modern technology told me I walked seven miles that day. Okay? I was not winded. At the end of the day, I wasn't super tired at the end of the day. I rode some rides. It was awesome. Four months ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Yesterday, I went for a walk. One mile around my neighborhood. One mile would have killed me four months ago. My back would have been hurting. I, I told my wife when, I, when we go walking before, I was like, yeah, I don't, don't talk to me. I can't talk and walk at the same time because I'm <sighs> just walking. I walked a mile yesterday and had to make myself stop because I knew I had things to do in the house. My back didn't hurt. I wasn't winded. Okay. Now I'm not saying all of this stuff just to kind of like pump myself up or nothing like that to say, Oh, look what a good job Michael is doing or anything like that. Yes. I'm wanting to lose weight for myself but I'm doing it for my generations, right? And not just my kids, not just my grandkids, but all of the other people that I have the opportunity to touch in my life, okay? I love going out and preaching in other places. I've been to Homer, Jonesboro, Mill Creek. I love it, absolutely love it. Every chance I get, a, every time I get a chance to go to those places, I have an opportunity to touch someone else's life. If I die in an early grave, I don't have an opportunity to change those. Do you see what I'm saying? Because if I go and I speak life into someone else or God speaks life into someone else through me and they break a generational curse that, that they're dealing with, now that has changed a whole generation of people, right? 
So I'm, I'm telling you, don't carry around altars that don't need to be there. Get rid of that stuff. Do not tear down that altar, that, that altar of whatever it is. Okay? Tear it down. Build up a new one and say, this is the day. Right now, this is the day I built a new altar. This altar says, I don't have to be this way. I don't have to live with cancer in my family. I don't have to live with financial instability. I don't have to live with any of that. I don't have to live with migraines. Folks, I have had migraines since I was a teenager. Four months ago, I have not had a single migraine. That curse is gone. It's broken. I build a new altar. And I say, four months ago, God did this in my life. And I will remind my kids. And that they will remind their kids. This is when my dad changed. This was something that changed in his life. This is an altar right here that can pass on to generations and generations and generations. And here's the great thing. When you do that, they're building their own altars at the same time. Right? My kids are building altars that says, I will tell my kids and my grandkids what God did for me in my life. And then so forth and so on and so forth and so on for, for grandkids and grandkids and grandkids. And not just grandkids. Many of you in here should have spiritual kids. Maybe you don't right now. That's okay. You know, maybe that's the season of life that you're in. But as you mature in your walk with the Lord... More people are going to come into your life, and you're going to have a circle of people that you can influence. Those people are building their own altars. You're affecting generations that's not even related to you by blood. Okay? So I am telling you right now, tear down altars that don't need to be there. 2 Kings 10.30 says, And the Lord said to Jehu, that's a funny name, Jehu, All right, so it says that your sons will sit on the throne for generations, okay? (laughs) To the fourth generation, to the fourth generation. This is important because he says, you did what was right in my eyes, okay? So that's what we have to begin to think about. What are we doing for God? Are we doing what's right in his eyes so that our generations can be blessed? To the fourth generation, what you do now can affect your great-grandkids, your great-great-grandkids. Do you understand what I'm saying? What you do right now. Psalm 49.11. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, they call the lands after their own names. In... When was it? Late 80s, I guess it was. Correct me if I'm wrong, people that were in Castor around this time. The E911 system came in to Castor, and they changed all the road names. We used to live on Parish Road 645. Um, And our address was Rural Route 3, Box something. I don't remember what it was. 453, I think. Oh, my goodness. I got a memory. Okay, so anyway, that's what it used to be. Rural route, Parish Road 645. E911 system came in, and they decided that they would name the streets after the people that lived on those streets. Okay? So a lot of times they would pick, 
either the first house or the last house on the street. Now, there was some political police jury stuff that was going on there. Because some people got a street named after them that wasn't on the first of the street. But whatever, okay? My point is, they had a street named after their family. And to this day, it's named after that family. And that family doesn't even live there anymore. Now, that's a worldly example of what I'm talking about. But my point is, do you want a spiritual street named after you? Do you want people to know, oh, when, when, when I go down this road, that's Allison Lede Road, right? This is the journey that Allison Lede took. This is where she used to live. Sorry, I'm using you as an example. This is where she used to be. This was the place she in. I want to mimic that, right? Throwing that out there. Dwelling places, call their lands with their own names. Psalm 78.4, we will not hide them from their children, Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. So again, we talked about building that altar, right? Telling your kids, your grandkids, everybody that you come in influence with, tell them about the goodness of God. Because whenever you begin to speak a thing, you speak it into existence, good or bad. So if you begin to speak those generational blessings on your life, guess what's going to happen? you're going to have generational blessings upon your life. If you speak generational curses on your life, guess what you're going to have? Generational curses on your life. The great thing is we can break those generational curses. And it's not hard to do. The first step is just stop speaking them. Okay? That's the first thing. Stop speaking them. We're going to get into the other part here in a minute. These verses demonstrate an important aspect of God's character. Everybody always asks you to, how can you define God? Well, first of all, you can just say love. Love is the absolute definition of God. Everything boils down to to love, right? Well, why did God create all the stars? Oh, love. What? Do you like looking at the stars? Yeah, it's very pretty. That's love. Gave us something to look at, right? Flowers. Animals, do y'all like to eat deer and venison? I do. I love it. Thank you, God. You showed me love by creating an animal that I could eat. I could have said bacon, too. That would have worked. So, look, these are verses that, they, again, they, they demonstrate the important, an important aspect of God's character. He is the Lord of history, the ancient of days. He's weaving together stories of individuals, generations, and nations for an eternal purpose. I myself, I want to be a part of that. One of the things that someone has asked uh, Angela and I once before, they said, well, if you had a personal motto, what what would it be? And Angela's always said um, she wants to help people. She's not in here, so I can embarrass her all I want. She says, I want to help people. And that's her. She loves helping people. Um, now, when you come to my house and we have food, you're going to help yourself. She's not going to serve you. But there's going to be food available. She wants to help people. She, she's always just, she's had a servant's heart. She loves helping people. When they ask me the same question, my question is, I want to see lives changed. Whatever form that takes, 
I want to see lives changed. I want to see people come in and leave different than they came in, in some way, right? So, what's that? Be like Jesus. There you go. So look, he's weaving these stories together because I want to see lives changed, and she wants to help people. That's a perfect combination. It's a perfect marriage, right? Right? <laughs> Sorry, dad joke. Um, it's a perfect marriage, right? Because she wants to help people and I want to see lives changed. I get to be there when she's helping people. I get to see lives changed. When I'm in the process of, of helping someone go through a life change, she's there too and she gets to help them. It's so awesome. And God can do that for everybody in here. There's nothing in here that God will not allow you to be having an influence in someone else's life and change someone else's life. Does that make sense? Okay. It's generationally thinking. Pastor Ginger said this all the time. It's all about you, but it's never about you. What is it? You Has everything to do with you and has nothing to do with you. Okay. So that means... Yes, it's, it's about you. You have to get into a place, but man, it's nothing about you. At the end of the day, that's not what it's about. God is weaving our lives together. Everybody in here has a connection with each other for a specific reason. We are to lift up and encourage each other, to love on each other. That's why we come on Sunday mornings. If you're coming on Sunday mornings to be fed from this word, that's good. That's okay. But you should be feeding yourself too. We're coming here because this is a bunch of like-minded people. So I can go to Pastor Ginger and say, I just I feel like I'm having a tough time this week. And she says, you know what? Let me pray with you. Let me love on you. Coming in and, and, and getting a hug from Justin. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, it's an encouragement, right? It's an encouragement because he is a fellow brother in Christ. And just to know that we're on the same team, that we're having the same struggles, it's an encouragement. God's weaving our lives together. Okay? It's, and it's generationally. It's generationally. We're, we should be thinking generationally. I, I can't stress this enough that it's not just the relationship that Justin and I have. It's to know that he has an influence. He has a circle of influence in his life. So whenever I am encouraging him and I'm loving on him and I'm lifting him up, I know that it's because he has an influence, a circle influence of people that he's dealing with. It builds him up so that he can do the things that God has called him to do and affect other people's lives. Okay? Listen, God sees our lives in the context of a big picture. Isn't that so awesome? That God sees our context of our lives in a big picture. We only see what's right in front of us. One of the things that I love about Google Maps, okay, any kind of map software, whatever it is, okay, I can see on the road and it tells me, turn right on Germantown, turn left on Elm Street. I can see all of that. But to get a bird's eye view, to come up and see how these things intersect, it just spatially up here, it kind of helps me work things out a little bit more. Aren't you glad that God has a bird's eye view? He sees everything. He sees that this road is going to intersect with this. 
that he can see that the road of Megan is going to intersect with the road of Michael. And so he begins to kind of direct things generationally. And it's not just her life. See, he can see Fallon's life. He can see Fallon's kids' lives, right? Do you want God to direct your kids' paths? Do you want God to direct your grandkids' paths? Absolutely we do, right? And so we want God to be able to direct it. I'm so glad that he has that bird's eye view. His purpose and plan are greater than any individual and continues from generation to generation. And that perspective is hard on us in this Western culture because we want everything now. Right? See, he's looking at the big picture. He sees where that road is intersecting miles and miles and miles and miles down. But we don't we want the road to intersect now. We don't want to think about the fact that, okay, well, I'm avoiding something. If it intersects now, there's a construction right here. Maybe we don't want to go through that. We need it to be then later. Okay? It may provide a necessary correction to our natural way of viewing things in our world. Okay, remember I told y'all I was going to do some reading? I need y'all to bear with me for a moment. I'm going to read you a story. It is a little bit long. It's, you know, like a page and a half typed, okay? If if your neighbor falls asleep, just kind of nudge him, okay? Please pay attention. This is important content. There was a lady who was coming to, this is about a man. There was a lady who was coming to my house every Sunday, picking up my children and carrying them to Sunday school and to church. I don't know where they were going, and I did not care, for I was not interested. Okay? This man is obviously not saved. Okay? He says, that Friday, I got out of my car in front of my house. As I started into the back door, someone spoke to me and said, you go down to that church and you pay your tithes. He says, I knew it was the Lord. He says, I started an argument with the Lord. He says, I began to tell him how I had to get my old car fixed up. He began to ask me some questions. By the way, this is probably 50 somewhere, maybe 60 somewhere in there. He says, but he began to ask me some questions about who was paying the preacher so my children could hear the word of God. And who did I think I was? Uh, and who did, I, who did I think was building the churches so that they would have a place to go and worship him? He says, I was so full of pride, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand for someone to do something for my children that I couldn't do. So I said, yes, Lord, I'll go and pay my tithes. So I walked in the house and told my wife that I had had a talk with the Lord. So I put my wife and the kids in the car. The children pointed the way. They pointed the way because he didn't know how to get there. On that next Sunday night, we went to church. Well, just as service started, see, they had been having a contest, and the children that brought the most people to Sunday school and church for a month would receive a New Testament Bible as a prize. He says, my daughter won that prize. He said, so that softened my heart just a little bit more. As far back as I can remember, it was a shame for a man to cry. My parents had always told me that I was their little man. Little girls were the ones who cried. Even when I was taken to a funeral, I noticed that men hardly ever cried, so I thought it was a shame 
for a man to cry. But when my daughter received that little Bible, I couldn't hold back any longer. I made for the altar, weeping and repenting for the mercy that saved my soul. I remember two girls about 15 or 16 saying, isn't that sweet, seeing a big old man like that crying for Jesus. People, I have not forgotten how I felt, changing so suddenly and asking him to forgive and save me. We had no preaching that night. The preacher asked me if I felt I was saved now. I said I couldn't be anything but salvation. I couldn't, said, excuse me. I said that it couldn't be anything but salvation that I had. But now, this is where the experience started. The pastor asked me if I wanted to seek the Holy Ghost. The Lord spoke to me again and said, don't do it until you get baptized in water. I asked if he could baptize me, and he said he would the next Sunday. Our church had no baptistry at the time, so we had to go to a lake. So the wife repented also and was baptized with me. So we had a revival that started that night, the night of the baptism. I fasted and prayed until the next Wednesday when we went to the revival every night. This is back when churches had revivals. Well, when the altar call was given, I could hardly breathe. The devil spoke to me and said, you might as well get up and go on because you're too full to pray to get the Holy Ghost. You're too much of a fool to pray and get the Holy Ghost. Then the Lord moved again, and I felt a hand pat me on the back and someone say, don't give up, brother. Now, who could have known I was about to give up except for the Lord? So I started praying again and shaking my head from side to side, slobbering foam all over the place. Everyone said they didn't see it, but I knew I did because it was all over my chest and the altar. By the time I had said three words, it was gone. I was speaking in another language. I spoke three days in tongues and could not speak one word in English. Just imagine the men I was working with. This man was a carpenter, by the way. They didn't want to get close to me. I would have to take the construction plans, roll them out, and point at what I wanted them to do on the job. The superintendent walked up to me one day and asked me something. I tried to answer him, but started speaking in tongues again. Well, he started backing up, and when he got about 10 feet away from me, he turned around, went back to the office, looking back over his shoulder. He would hire men and send them to me to put them to work. I would give them the plans and show them what to do. They would then ask the other carpenters, what's wrong with this man? Well, Saturday came, and the superintendent announced, everyone be here on Sunday. Well, we were starting to work seven days a week. I shook my head, no. And he said, if you're not here, I will fire you. On the way home that evening after I got home, I could speak in English again finally, but I had made up my mind that Sunday belonged to the Lord. When I got to work on Monday morning, he handed me a pink slip, fired. And he said, stop by my office, pick up your check. He started back up to the road. I put my tools on my shoulder and was behind him without him even knowing it. The head superintendent was coming down the road just looking around. And he said, Red, for that's what he was called. He was a large red-headed man. And started telling all of, he started telling him all about it and said, if I couldn't be here on Sunday when he needed me, that he would fire me. The boss shook his finger in Red's face and said, if you do fire that man, 
you will leave before he does. If the world would do like that, this would be a better place to live in. And he said, sir, take your tools and you go back down there on the job. I was the last man to leave that job. He says, well, I guess I'll have to tell you this before I get away. Part of my being tempted was while I was seeking the Holy Ghost. Well, I told how mean I was. I never hit my wife in any way or abused her in any way, only tongue lashings and telling her what I was going to do. Well, right after a big check and some supper, I told, I was, excuse me, I was trying to get her to go to church with me, but she was still mad about me, about giving our tithes and money away, tithes and offering money when she needed a new pair of shoes. She slapped me as hard as she could, and she, and I said, praise the Lord. She slapped me on the other side, and I hollered, glory. She looked at me real funny and just went back in the house. But praise the Lord, for he had prepared me for a different life. That night I received the Holy Ghost, and that caused a lot of trouble because she thought she had ought to receive it first. As I said, I could read very little, so I got her to read the Bible to me every chance she got, which wasn't much, for we had four little ones. So I would follow her around all day and spell out the words so that she could pronounce them for me. And the Lord began to teach me in visions and dreams how to read. I know that was kind of a long story. This is a generational story for me. This is my grandfather's handwritten testimony who had a fifth grade education. What that man did affected me. He died in 1984. I was eight years old. I don't remember many memories of him except calling me Onion Head or not head, and telling me to get out of his recliner. <laughs> but that man worked to the day he died. And he did it for generations. And he wrote down his testimony. Folks, this is a notebook that was purchased at Bill's Dollar Store in Ringgold. It's a handwritten testimony that my grandfather wrote. This means the world to me. This is an altar. This will be passed down to my kids and to their grandkids. This is an altar. Had this man in this notebook not done the things that he did, I would not be right here where I am today. He laid the groundwork. He didn't even see it. He just knew he needed to make a change in his life. He broke chains in his life. No longer was he going to be the man that he was being. He was a hellion, folks, I'm telling you. My grandfather back in his early days, I'm not going to go into the description of it, but it was he did some pretty mean stuff, okay? But when I knew him, he was completely different. He was a carpenter, so you know what he did? He built churches. He physically built churches. He used what God gave him, and he used it for the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do. Generational thinking. Had my grandfather not made the change in his life, I wouldn't be up here. I'm so proud of my son. I'm glad Mikey's not in here right now, right? I am so proud of my son because he's picking up that mantle 
People have spoken things over him of things that he's going to be doing. Oh my goodness. It just makes my heart jump. My grandfather laid the foundation. My parents helped till the ground. I'm helping to sow seeds so my son can reap it, right? He's going to harvest. And you know what? He's also sowing. And he's building a foundation. It's generational. Folks, this is powerful stuff. This is my grandfather's Christian testimony. If anybody ever wanted to read it, by the way, I've got a typed up version of it. Um, This is my grandfather's Bible. It's falling apart. There are ink pens in here that were still in place when he passed away in 1984. Handwritten notes. This is very, very special to me. Very special to me. This is one of those altars. I'm not sacrificing to this altar. Okay? I'm not putting this above other things. The word that's in here is the same word that's in here. Okay? I'm not sacrificing to this altar. But this is a remembrance altar. Right? It's bringing something to the remembrance so that I can begin to tell my kids and my grandkids, your generation, your life changed right here. Okay. I didn't know if I was going to do this or not, but I am. Um, I want to give you guys an opportunity. If you have to go, I get it. I, I kind of went a little over, I think. Um, if you guys have to leave, I get it. I want to give you guys an opportunity this morning to break generational curses, to tear down the altars that have been put into your life, whether it was put there by a grandparent, a parent, maybe you did it yourself. It doesn't have to exist anymore. That stuff is gone. Okay, you are building a new altar today. You build a new altar. Do you hear me today? You build a new altar today. You build an altar of blessing and life. Do you understand? I want to give you guys an opportunity to do that this morning. So if, the, if we could have some some music um, and turn turn these lights off for me. Um, I'm going to I'm going to pray and then I want to give you guys an opportunity to prayer. And if um, Pastor Ginger and um, Jody and Devin, if y'all would be willing, and Angela, would y'all be willing to come up as well and and pray with people? We're going to break some generational curses this morning, okay?